I think some of you are wondering if there was one. <laughs> we found it. Blazed right through. And so now we're ready for something different. And since we had been there for a while, I thought it might be nice to do something quite a bit different. And so I decided on the Minor Prophet book of Haggai. If you're wondering to yourself, why Haggai? My answer to that is, why not Haggai? <laughs> um, my decision process was actually quite complex. I had a, a friend of mine, a pastor, uh, asked him, what minor prophet books have you preached through? And Haggai was the first one he said, so I thought, hey, I'll do that one. <laughs> so here we are. Now, if you have not found Haggai yet in your Bible, um, in my Bible it is only one page, front and back, and so it's, it's really buried in there. If you go to Matthew, you turn to the left, and you will find um, Malachi. Turn back one more book, you'll find Zechariah. One more book back, it'll be Haggai. Okay, so it's third from the end in the Old Testament. And once you find it, my guess is you'll find some nice, clean, white pages Nice and straight, no wrinkles, maybe pages sticking together a little bit, even if you've if you got a newer Bible, like they do when uh, you first open it up. And if I were to ask you, if you haven't looked at any of the headings yet, could you give me just a couple of uh, brief little details of what is in the book of Haggai? Honestly, would anyone be able to give me one? Prophecy, that's, that's probably in there, yeah, <laughs> since he is a prophet. Um, but other than that, uh, I know I've, I've read through it a lot uh, over the years, but it's not one you pay too much attention to. Uh, if you had asked me a couple weeks ago to give a detail from the book of Haggai, I probably couldn't have done it. So, if we're all... Basically, coming from a fresh start, a little bit of background I thought would be helpful. We back up many years. Uh, out of all of the nations in the world who had turned their backs on God, which is all of them, for reasons only known to God, he graciously chose the nation of Israel to be his people. God graciously gave them many promises. It wasn't because of who they were. It wasn't anything deserving in them. It was purely God's grace. He chose them and he blessed them. One of the, the blessings and promises that he gave to them was the promise of land of their own. And he promised them that they would get to enjoy that land as long as they obeyed him and worshipped him alone. He gave them a specific place of worship. He gave them lots of details of how they were to worship. It started out with the, the tabernacle and later became the temple in Jerusalem once they were in their land and established there. And it was there to remind them always of whose they were. And it had priests 
God appointed the priests to serve there in that temple. To help the people to stay faithful in their worship of God alone. We know the history of Israel, right? How did it go? It didn't go too well. There were few revivals in between, but overall it was a downward spiral. This over and over and over, they would come back to idols. Worship the idols of the nations around them. We find through the Old Testament, God was very patient. God was very gracious in continually sending them prophets, one after another, to remind them of the truth and to warn them of what would happen if they didn't repent of their idolatry. He warned them over and over, if you don't repent, I'll remove you from your land. They didn't. So he did. God used a pagan nation. Uh, First the Assyrians to get northern tribes and the Babylonians to get the rest of them in the south in the land of Judah. He removed them and carried them off to the land of Babylon. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And for many years, the faithful remnant, they prayed. They asked God's forgiveness for their people. They asked that God would restore them to their land. Restore the glory that God had there in that land. And God was faithful. And again, God was gracious. He heard their prayers. And God again moved the heart of a pagan king. We read about it in Ezra chapter 1 for our scripture reading. King Cyrus. God stirred up his heart. Moved him to tell the Jews, any of them who would, to go back and rebuild the temple. Now, if we had kept reading in Ezra, we would have found that there were about 50,000 Jews who returned to Jerusalem. And they went back on a mission. They were eager to rebuild that temple. So they got started. And some neighbors came along. Samaritans. They said, hey, why don't you let us help? This is my paraphrase. The Jews said, well, that's okay. This is our project. We'll do it. So no thanks. So the Samaritans left and they didn't like being turned down. They thought about it a little more and they decided, well, we don't really want this city built back up. We don't really want these rivals to be here. So they sent some letters, delegation back to Persia. And there was a new king. Cyrus was no longer there. This new king didn't know that decree that Cyrus had made. And so through the conniving of the Samaritans, they were able to get some government red tape put up all over on this temple project. And it stopped. The foundation was done. That was it. 
And there it sat for 15 years. That's where Haggai comes in. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king. This is another new king. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. You know, these are some people here. If we're unfamiliar with the book of Haggai, we're probably unfamiliar with all these people mentioned in it. Who is Haggai? What do we know about him? He was a prophet. And that's about all we know. We don't know too much about Haggai. Zerubbabel, who was that? Well, he was a descendant of David. He was a descendant of the former kings of Judah. And so we find in Zerubbabel that although they had been removed from the land for all those years, the line of the Messiah has not been cut off. The Messiah, Messianic line is still intact. This man, Zerubbabel, was put in charge of the Jews to return. He was the governor of that region. Joshua is the high priest. On August 29th, first day of the sixth month, August 29th, God had a message for Zerubbabel, for Joshua, He passed on to all of the people in Jerusalem, delivered through Haggai. That's verse 1. Now verse 2. Who does this message come from? God refers to himself, says, thus says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, it could also say the Lord of armies or the one who is in charge. Or the one who is all powerful. The one who gives the orders. The one who no earthly power can challenge. Thus says that one. This people says. Notice he doesn't say my people. Distancing himself a little bit. This people says the time has not come, even the time of the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And what did God want them to do? He wanted them to build the temple. He stirred up the spirit of Cyrus to send them back for this very purpose. Build the temple. The foundations were there and they've been sitting there for all of these years and the people say, ah, it's just not a good time for this right now. Why didn't they think it was a good time? Well, they'd face some opposition. The Samaritans. They didn't want them to do it. But the Lord of hosts, the one who is in charge, the one who gives the orders, the one who no earthly power can challenge, 
wanted them to build the temple. Now, if they had cared enough, they could have sent their own delegation back to Persia and told this new king who told them to stop building the temple to check his records. And he would find that Cyrus, the king, had made a decree. And when a Persian king makes a decree, no other king can change that decree. That was their law. That he said, go build that temple. King Darius, when he actually went and looked, he found not only did Cyrus say to go build the temple, he found out we're paying for it. Had they cared, they could have gotten this ball rolling. But they apparently didn't care that much. Or this may have been the kind of situation where they could have obeyed God instead of man. Who was the king of Persia compared to the Lord of hosts? Build that temple. Well, they had some other excuses for why this was just not a good time. Basically, they didn't have time. They were too busy. Let's read on verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. That phrase is basically the key phrase of the book of Haggai. It comes up several times. He is a prophet that wants the people to think. Think about what you're doing. Give some serious thought to the way you're living. Look at your heart right now. Think about where you're at. Think about what's going on here. Think about your priorities. In the context, that's what he's wanting them to think right here. Consider your ways. Think about your priorities. What were their priorities? Well, they didn't have time to rebuild the temple. What did they have time for? They had time to build their houses. And when he says they're living in paneled houses, that could mean extravagant. It's like what the kings lived in. Had cedar paneling lining their walls. Could mean that. And when the first Jews came back, they bought a lot of cedar to rebuild the temple. Well, they didn't rebuild the temple. What happened to all that cedar? Maybe they took it. They weren't using it for the temple. Let's put it in our houses. We don't know for sure if that's where they came about this paneling, but it could be. It also could be that this word for paneled, it doesn't necessarily mean fancy panels. It could just mean finished. They weren't just some structures that they threw together to get themselves out of the wind and the rain. These were finished houses. They had them all trimmed out, decorated. They made them as comfortable as they could afford to make them. Their lawns were mowed all nice. Their flower beds were weeded. All their bushes were an even height. Their houses, their yards were well kept. That they had time for. 
But God's house was a pile of rocks, weeds growing all over it. This probably be a good time to ask, what was the purpose of that temple? Why did God want it built? Why was it so important? What was the place for them to meet with God, right? This basic function of the temple where they would go meet with God. Jesus said that it was to be called a house of prayer. It's the purpose of the temple. People to go there to pray to God. It was to be the center of worship of the one true God. It was the place where the priests served. Where they would bring their sacrifices. be sacrificed to God to cover their sins. They realized their sin was a problem. They wanted to be right with God. Go to the temple and get that taken care of. That temple was all about their relationship with God. That's what it was supposed to be. They didn't have time for that. They were too busy. I said earlier about how before the captivity, idolatry was such a problem. They kept going back over and over to the idols of the nations around them. After that captivity, that idolatry was no longer an issue. They didn't go back to the gods of stone statues and the wooden statues anymore after being taken captive. But doesn't it seem like they traded that idolatry for another kind of idolatry? They stopped worshiping the statues and they've gone on to an idolatry that's something a little more like what we can identify with. It's modernized. Isn't it true that anything we put above God in importance is an idol? So what was more important to them than their relationship with God? Having a comfortable life. Living in a nice house. Now this is not saying that it's wrong to live in a nice house. But it's about priorities. What is most important? Now, today, for us, we who are in Christ, because of His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ alone, we don't have a temple building at the center of our relationship with God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The body of Christ, the church, not the building, the people, is the, the temple of God, God's temple. Find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God wants us to work on this temple. He wants us to keep it up, build it up. How do we do that today? We do it through worship. We do it through hearing from God and His Word through Scripture. We do it through speaking to God in prayer. We do it through serving each other in the body of Christ with the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. We do it by spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
God wants us to keep up this temple. Consider your ways. Think about where you are. Think about the life you're living. Give some serious thought to your priorities. Consider your ways. Do you have time for your relationship with God? Is that your first priority? Now, everybody is busy. If you ever doubt that, just try to plan something. (laughs) You come across all kinds of conflicts with all kinds of schedules because everybody's busy. What are you busy doing? What keeps you busy? Is it your relationship with God? Is that first and foremost? Or is something else taking that place? Does that priority, what should be our priority, does it ever get pushed aside by a home improvement project? Literally, like it did for these people there in Jerusalem. Do you ever find yourself thinking or saying, well, as soon as I get my house in order, then I'll have time to serve the Lord. Then I will have time and be able to show hospitality once I get my house comfortable and finished. Have you ever thought or said, as soon as I get past this phase of life, then I'll have time to serve the Lord? This as soon as the kids get a little older, they're not so needy, then I'll have time to work on my relationship with the Lord, to serve the Lord. Or once I've gotten out of debt, then I can afford to serve the Lord. But until then, I've got to be on this task. Or have you ever thought, once this project is done at work, that will free up some time, then I'll be able to serve the Lord. Or once this season of my favorite show is over, if I can't find any others that I like, then I'll have time to serve the Lord. Or once I have lost all hope in the Royals. It almost happened, but then they started winning again. But then they lost again. So it's always kind of up in the air. But once I lose hope in the Royals, then that will free up some time. Then I'll be able to serve the Lord. Maybe next winter. Maybe next, next summer. Then I'll have time to get serious about my relationship with the Lord. But now's not the time. Consider your ways. Isn't it true that anything we put in front of worshiping God, hearing from Him in Scripture, speaking to Him in prayer, serving each other with our gifts, spreading the Gospel, if anything comes before that in our priorities, isn't that an idol? Consider your ways. Now these misplaced priorities that they had there in Jerusalem had brought on some trouble. Look on in verse 6. It says, You have sown much, but harvest little. 
You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Skip ahead to verse 9. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Think about the situation of those people there. They were hungry. They were cold. Their money flew, flowed out faster than it could come in. They worked hard in their fields. They weren't lacking in that. They weren't lazy in that. They worked hard. They did everything just right in their fields. They had high expectations. And we have sowed the best seed. We've put it in the best land. We've sowed a lot of it. This year, it's going to be a good year. This year, we're going to have a good harvest. And things are going to get better. But then there was another drought. Another year of looking better on paper than it does in the barns. Another year being hungry. Another year of being cold. Another year of just barely surviving. Why? God gave the answer in verse 9. Because of my house which lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. In other words, because your personal interests are more important to you than I am, God said, you're miserable because you've misplaced your priorities. Now, all of their hardships were their fault. God was disciplining them. They brought it on themselves. And neglecting God putting their interests first. They were thinking to themselves, okay, someday we need to get back to that temple. But not today, because we're really going to go out in that field. We're going to work hard. We're going to turn things around. They weren't doing themselves any favors. They're shooting themselves in the foot by putting their interests ahead of God. Now, to Israel, God promised prosperity for faithfulness. He promised lots of trouble for lack of faithfulness. This is not a prosperity gospel for us. This is where we need to be careful about how we interpret Scripture Some people will go to these promises that God made to Israel and say, well, that applies to us, too. If we are faithful, if we do all the right things, cross all our T's, dot all of our I's in our relationship with God, then he has to bless us. He has to make us healthy and wealthy. God has not given us that promise. 
He gave those promises to Israel specifically about their inheritance, about enjoying that land. It was not made to us. So what about us? How does this apply to us? Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know what's he talking about there? His basic necessities, our needs, what we need to be the people to live the life that God has called us to. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We can trust God to take care of the rest. If he is our first priority, our relationship with him, we just trust God to take care of the rest. Now, the treasure that he gives us might be getting stored up in heaven. The treasure he gives us for our faithfulness, we may never see it on this earth. The treasure we have now, as we all do compared to most of the rest of the world, is not given to us because we're better than all the others in the world who don't have so much. Our treasure for faithfulness is being stored up in heaven. And that's worth it. Our first priority today in the church age, the age of grace, is to be our relationship with God. God is the first priority. And we're going to be a lot better off if that is our priority than if we are putting our priorities on other things and trying to do it ourselves. How could the Israelites correct their situation? All this suffering that they were having, how would it be fixed? Back to verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified says the Lord. What's the solution to the problem? Start glorifying God and stop glorifying yourself. What was the solution to the problem? Do what God told them to do. Get some wood, build the temple. Pretty simple solution. It's obey. How did they respond? Well, if you're very familiar with Old Testament prophets, you probably aren't envious of their job. Because almost always the people didn't listen. Almost always they would ridicule the person who brought God's message. And even many times they shot the messenger. This time much to the relief of Haggai, I'm sure, they listened. Verses 12-15, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. How did they respond? They repented. He says, they obeyed and showed reverence for the Lord. Now, if you think of how things were overall in the Old Testament, those are some pretty pleasant words to read. They obeyed and they showed reverence for the Lord. They did the right thing. God stirred up their spirits. They got busy doing what God told them to do. They rebuilt the house of the Lord. They got their priorities in order. The relationship with God came first. Their houses, whatever they had left, could come next. God was first. So God said to them with their now new right priorities, verse 13, I'm with you. Remember a while ago he said these people instead of my people. Now he says to them, I'm with you. Now what more could you ask for? To have the assurance that God is with you and God is for you. The Lord of hosts, the one who is in charge. He's with you. There's nothing left that you're going to need. What is your first priority? Consider your ways. Look at your life. Think about your busyness. What are you busy doing? What comes first? What idols have you allowed to take God's place? Are you building His temple or your house? Consider your ways.